Good morning, good morning, everybody. How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, here we are, another day for another great study. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and please turn with me to today's passage, as we're working through the Gospel of Luke. We're up to chapter 11, and we're going to be picking up here where we left off. And uh, so yeah, so previously on Christian Coffee Time, we just finished up chapter 10, obviously, as 10 comes before 11, and uh, we took a look at... Um, at uh, the finishing up here with uh, Jesus and the story of who who is our neighbor and about brotherly love, Christ-like love, as child-likeness. We talked about that in great depth, and Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan helping the man on the road to Jericho, and we took a look at that, and we see uh, the chapter ending with the uh, account of Jesus over at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's, and we see uh, where Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was busy about much serving. And we took a look at that and how Jesus corrected Martha as Martha got so sidetracked in uh, in her busyness, in her charity. Yes, charity is a good thing. Service is a good thing. And helping others and being busy is a good thing. But if it takes you away from time, personal time with Christ... And it may cause you to have issues with those who may not be as busy as you and doing as much as you, then we have a bit of a problem. So we got to find that, that, that uh, middle ground. There's, a, there's a, an area there where it's balanced properly. And how do we find that balance? By letting the Lord guide us. We don't call the shots. We're, we're not the owners. We're the caretakers of the Lord's business. So we see Martha should have gone to Jesus and asked him about this instead of jumping to conclusions and assumptions. So avoid pre presuming, avoid assumptions and all that kind of thing and just let the Lord guide you. And we see in verse 41 of chapter 10, Jesus answered, said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. So many things in her life and it's take, taking her mind in, and taking control of her. And we see in scripture, I will not be brought under the power of any. So nothing is a power or controls us. If you're so busy, you're too scheduled, you need to empty it out and you need to sacrifice some things for the Lord. We see that in our lives as well, how we get so wrapped up and so busy. We wake up in the morning uh, already sprinting. We got we to go, 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 go. And we hardly have time to sit down with the Lord, to start the day with the Lord. And we cut his time short. We may sit down, but we're... We're mindful of the clock. That's wrong. As God doesn't take a number and wait his scheduled turn. That's not right. We, we shouldn't do that. And we see this is what kind of what is happening with Martha. We see the application for us. But that one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen the good part. She's just pushed everything else aside. Nothing is important right now. Nothing is important right now. The phone can wait. The notifications can wait. The, uh, the kids, the cars, the cows can wait. Everything else can wait. We need to sit at Jesus' feet and give him all of our attention, all of our mind, all of our focus. And if we can't do that, then we're being more like Martha. So there we go. And here we are. We're at chapter 11. 
So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and grab your tea, grab your coffee, of course, and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. All right, so we're going to be taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and and why it, why this is important and why we should apply it to ourselves. Now, the what is the what of the narrative? What is what it's specifically saying, the narrative of the text? So we go through it to figure out, okay, what, what is the context of the passage? We want to avoid cherry picking. We want the whole passage of the whole context. Okay, who's talking? What are they saying? What are the words that, that, that are being used? And we back up again, go through it slowly, take a look at how. How is it specifically being said, doing the word studies? And then we see how can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the word of God? And then we end up with the, the why, why it's important to do this and why we should apply it to ourselves for our own learning to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. All right. That's the Berean method. And good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining in. All right. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. And it came to pass. What does that mean? Time has passed. Now, it doesn't tell us how much time. It doesn't say, and a couple days later, a week later, a month later, it doesn't say. It says, and it came to pass. So, from the previous, we see Mary and Martha, where Jesus is over at their place for dinner. We have no idea how much time has really gone by here. Uh, days, weeks, months. And it came to pass. And just So, we see... We're not always given in, in uh, great detail certain specific things. So as certain things aren't really that important. Time, as we see by this, what just jumps to my mind here, and I've done some studies on this about uh, the timescape, about how we are so wrapped up in watches, clocks, time time watches about schedules and we got uh, we got to do this at this time and this time and this just why do we let time rule us why do we let time rule us i gotta go to bed at this time i gotta get up at this time i gotta eat at this time i gotta be here and do this at this time we're so wrapped up in time god is outside of time and that should be something that's that uh, that we should give our minds to to think about Time is not our God, the God Kronos, the Greek God Kronos. Uh, time is not our God. And we do the same thing as we bring time in. Time rules our devotions. We give five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour to reading our Bibles and praying. We should do away with the clocks. We should do away with our watches in sense of ignoring them. It's not important. They don't rule us. You see, it's it's actually caught me a few times where, and to my shame, I, I, it's happened a few times where I've been <clears throat> going somewhere and I got to be there for a certain time. Like, for example, a uh, job. I got to be there at this time and I got to stop for gas on the way and i'm rushing i'm already you know cutting it short and i gotta get gas and then the lord taps me on the shoulder and says you should go over and give this guy a track or you should witness to this person i don't because time 
So we don't witness because time says so? Shouldn't the entire universe come to a stop when it comes to witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't our schedule just be pushed on pause and just ignored when it comes to the word of God, prayer, and witnessing of the truth of Christ? That if we have an opportunity to witness, to speak of the Lord, to, to show the goodness of God to someone, to pray for someone, to hand out a tract, to, to pray reader Bibles, the entire world should be ignored. Time is irrelevant. Do not let time rule you. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, so as as he would, Jesus would go and would spend time with the Father. They would be in communion. Now, we talked about prayer. Some people, like Muslims, bring up other people who deny the deity of Jesus, say, well, if Jesus is God, then why does he pray to the Father? All right, so right there, that just shows you don't understand what the meaning of, of praying is, the meaning of prayer is. To pray is to hold conversation with. Like in Old English, I would say to you, I pray ye. That's invitation to conversation. Invitation to conversation. So Jesus is just talking, holding discourse, having a conversation with the Father. That's what that means. It doesn't mean he's less than or any of that kind of thing. Is you're having a conversation with a special, sacred, holy conversation. That's just all it is in that context. Now in Old English, and I would have I want to have a conversation with you, I would say, I pray ye. It's invitation to conversation. So we got to understand this. All right. So, uh, okay. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples spoke to him. Okay. Now we also see something else there. Respect. Respect. When someone is praying leave them alone no obviously we say well yeah there's also the aspect of the sacred hush when someone is praying show respect by as much as you can minimize noise and don't disturb them if someone is reading the bible same respect if someone is preaching and speaking the word show respect uh, so we see see the same thing here and Jesus praying and the disciples waited. They didn't come up and butt in. They didn't make noise and they were showing respect in the holy hush as he was praying. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. No, okay. Teach us to pray. Why? They don't know how to pray? Well, there is the religious traditional type of praying now in this we see that um i'll just i'll just say it the whole bow your head close your eyes fold your hands where did that come from let's just start with that where, where, where did that come from bow your head close your eyes fold your hands that's not in the bible nowhere Bow the head, close the eyes, fold the hands. Now, the 
tradition of this actually goes back into really ye old time uh, as a means of trying to help control children and people from getting distracted and for them to pay more attention because when you bow your head close your eyes fold your hands you can't really goof around and do stuff they did this more for kids back in the old time to help control kids it's it's just more of religious tradition is all it is the bible actually talks about about praying lifting up holy hands and all the baptists and everyone else says no don't do that i'm joking uh but uh, is lifting the hands lifting the holy hands to the lord why don't we do that about lifting up the eyes and, and looking up and speaking to the lord lifting up your voice like a trumpet why why do people not do that well it feels awkward that's because we've been so controlled and traditionalized in in our religiosity to do it this way but the Bible actually shows many different ways of praying. Praying, standing, sitting, laying prostrate on the ground. There's many ways of uh, of bowing down before the Lord, about lifting up the hands before the Lord. So praying, well, how? what's the right way to do it? There is no wrong way to do it. You can pray while running, riding your bike, driving your car, walking, standing, sitting, laying down. It, it literally doesn't matter. It's just that you do. But that you would talk to the Lord, that you would speak to the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter how you do it, and doing it in one way, one form or one way or another doesn't enhance your prayers. There's no way to enhance your prayers or to, no, if you pray this way, it's more powerful. That's not a thing. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Because well, even as Scripture says, ye know not how to pray for as ye ought. But the Spirit will teach you how to pray. He will teach you. He will help you. He will give you the words with which to say in the very same hour. He's, he takes your prayers and he, and he makes them acceptable. So, Lord, teach us to pray. As we want to get away from religious tradition, uh, uh, traditional methods and methodology and thinking, because this is how you're supposed to do it. No, that that's actually not a correct mindset a proper mindset before the lord in praying is childlikeness childlikeness now what do i mean so often when we're around others and you're going to be praying in front of others you'll notice pay attention if you haven't noticed it pay attention next time is you'll notice that when you're around others and when you're praying you pray completely utterly different than when you do when you're by yourself why why that's not right why would we do that well it's because we're we're so mindful of what others may think of us we have to use bigger words we have to be careful not to say certain things why what does it matter what they think when you're talking to god they're they're gonna somehow look down on your prayers no one knows how to pray for as they ought anyway so what does it matter just talk to the lord talk to the lord as your father you're his child just talk to him what does it matter what others think of you just pray talk to the lord so lord teach us to pray is learning how to ignore others who cares what others think why why are we trying to impress people by the way we pray that has always irked me that has always been a little fingernails on a chalkboard to me it is 
when you're around others, you're at a place and someone gets up to pray and it's huge flowery words and big ornate speech prayers. It's obvious that they're just, just trying to show off. That's, that's not right. You just talk to the Lord innocently, sincerely, humbly before God. Like, why are you trying to impress people to, to use big, huge words and phraseologies and everything and, and where your prayer turns into a sermon? Why? Lord, teach us to pray. Is, is get rid of the orthodoxy. Get rid of the religiosity. Get rid of uh, the mindfulness of other people and just you and God and talk. That's what this is. You and God and talk. It is simple. We've talked about this before, about the simplicity of the faith. Simplicity. What does it matter what others think? What does it matter? Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. We see them referring to John the Baptist. As John the, ba John the Baptist taught his disciples uh, ways to pray, would you teach us how to pray? We see others having uh, having uh, certain forms and certain traditions and things and lord lord what, what is your tradition what lord what do you want us to do we see john teaching others lord well, how would you teach me we see other religions and other denominations and other groups and other cliques and <laughs> we see other methods and religiosities and traditions around lord how would you want me to pray you see we get into this we see that many people's ways of praying is pretty much just a regurgitation of a list where they just go through and they just lord help me with this 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 and help this person help this person this person's sick would you please heal them and help this and help this and lord would you do this and lord help this person this and this and go down through the list that's not praying. That's taking your grocery list to God. That's not praying. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but that's not devotional praying. That's pleading. That's intercession. That's not praying. That's not talking with the Lord. You see, there's prayers of intercession, there's prayers of deliverance, there's prayers of help, there's prayers of praise, and there's prayers of devotion. Now, praying can be as simple as when we ask the Lord to, to bless our food before we eat it, which you should. You shouldn't just dive in like a dog. You should thank the Lord for your food before you eat it. There's, but there's the prayers of devotion, and this is what we're, we're kind of looking at here in, in this passage today. Uh, Luke 11, verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to talk to you. Would you help us to learn how to talk to you? Lord, you're so high and holy. You're all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. You're all-sovereign. You're our Father, our Redeemer, our Savior, our King. How, how do I come to you? How do I talk to you? Sometimes we just feel inadequate i don't know what to say and that's praying when we don't know what to say 
It says that the spirit will help us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's what that means. It's not the charismatic. You know, that see right there is you don't know what to say, so you just go and you the spirit will just cause you to go yabba dabba 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 do. No, that's stupid. That's that's Flintstoneism. That's not praying. Uh, the spirit will help us with groanings who cannot be uttered. What, what that means is you come before the Lord in some it, with some issue or problem or or some certain situation, and you just don't know what to say. The Lord hears your heart, where you you just don't even know how to put words to it. The Lord knows what you mean. The fact that you've come before Him, and it's that you know that. That nod you you look at the person in the eyes and you nod and you know that they know that you know and you know that's what that means that's what that means is the lord knows and he acknowledges that you've come before him even though you haven't said anything but the fact that you've come before him you've acknowledged lord i just i don't know he heard that he knows that he knows what you mean that's what that means that grown as it cannot be uttered but here in Lord teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples, this is devotional praying. This is different. This is a different thing. This is when you take your Bible and you sit down and you just start reading slowly and you talk to the Lord about what's going on and the things around and devotional praying is holy reverential worship and respect. Now in this as well, we want to note what Jesus says in verse 2. And Je Jesus hears this, and Jesus said unto them, When ye pray, say. And then he gives some instruction here. But I want to push pause on that for a second. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 6. I want to show you something here. This is also why it's important to pair scripture to scripture. The how of how can I pair what I'm reading to other aspects of the word of God. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is actually talking about praying and about how not to pray. How not to pray. Don't do this, Jesus says. Don't be like this. Now, let's actually read uh, Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 1. Take heed that ye, that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. That when it comes to holy devotional time, that's private time. That's no one else's business. That's between you and God alone. That when you're speaking with the Lord in devotion, it should be private. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now, alms, now this is charitable uh, charitable work. Like, say, you see someone in the street asking for, for money, or a beggar or something, you go to give, give them some is that's private you don't broadcast it you don't record it and then post it on instagram and facebook so everyone else sees how wonderful you are you're going to get no blessing of god you're no different than a pharisee when you do that uh, you don't need to broadcast how charitable and holy and special and kind and helpful you are you know, you're a bragger a boaster and the lord isn't going to reward that when thou doest alms let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth 
that thine alms may be done, may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, and they that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's the public broadcasting prayers. Like what I talk about, you know, certain people and they stand up and it's big fancy speech prayers, big fancy words and and uh, big orthodox language. That's that's just wrong. That's hypocritical, pharisaical praying. They have their reward. Verse six. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Uh, go into a room, a back room, go somewhere, get away from everyone. Like I talk about, go to the park, the beach, go to the, go to the mountaintop, somewhere, get away from everyone. Enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. What's vain repetitions in context of praying? Like, for example, Hail Marys. You know, the rosaries, you count the beads, you say the same thing over and 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 over. What is this? Go and actually try to talk to someone like that. Hey, Matt, how's it going? 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 I think there's something wrong with you. God thinks there's something wrong with you when you're talking to him in that way. But literally, that's what the cults think praying is try talking to a, a regular person the way the cults try to pray to god see how far that goes it's not going to go very far use not vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking they just go on and on and on and on saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and and even if it's not a chanting prayer like that the vain repetitions also brings in saying just the same prayer every time. It's just grocery list prayer, grocery list prayer, grocery list prayer, grocery list prayer. Now, there's no intimacy. There's no devotion. There's no talking with God. You're just bringing list, 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 list every time. It's there's no change there's no heart there's you, there's no personal involvement there you're not bringing the lord into it you're not talking about him and his person what he's done and all this what is that try talking to your spouse your friends your family like that where anytime you see them all you ever do is just bring list and you just it's the same presentation every time that you're not really in it and every time you see them it's like it's like hey bob how's it going could you help me with this help me with this help me with this help me with this do this could you do this you help this person you do this every time use not vain repetitions it's heathenish it's wrong god calls it heathen don't do that now, there's nothing wrong with bringing lists, but that shouldn't be your prayer. Be mindful of that. Be not ye therefore like unto them, the heathen. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, 
Now, here we go. This is what I wanted. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now we'll go back to Luke. Now, you'll note here in Matthew 6, verse 9, look what it says. Three words. After this manner. When ye pray, when ye pray, after this manner. So when you're praying, what does after this manner mean? Here's an example of an outline. Here's a way to help you to know how to go about in a respectful manner of praying. You see, people use the Our Father prayer as a prayer. Well, it's scripture, and Jesus said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, but this is an outline. And so many people think that, well, just, just pray the outline. Okay, sure. Now, it's scripture, but can you misrepresent scripture even in praying? Yep. Okay, so, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, some of you, they, they, they repeat that as their prayer. And then they repeat that as their prayer again. And... When they're scared, they repeat that as their prayer. And when they're in need, they repeat that as their prayer. And in the morning, in the, in the evening, in the afternoon, and they, okay, but why would that be considered vain repetition? But it's scripture. You're saying scripture is vain? If it's abused, if it's not represented properly, if it's not used properly, if it's not understood properly, see, here's the thing. Here's the question. Why did Jesus say, after this manner? Here is an example of an outline. Here's, a, here's something to help you to understand how to go about praying. Here's a manner of praying. Now, this is not the Lord's Prayer. So many people call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. This is not the Lord's Prayer. Not at all. It's the disciples' prayer. Jesus said, when ye pray, after, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Not the Lord's Prayer, it's the Disciples' Prayer. Now, what does it mean, our Father which art in heaven? You see, the point of Scripture, as we, as we talk about, about studying the Word of God, studying Scripture, studying the passages, studying the words, is to pay attention to the specific wording. Our Father. Let's even break that down more. Our. What does that mean? What's the context? What is that implying? Our. That's the saints. That's the fellowship of the brethren. Now, let your mind go with that. The brethren, the church, the saints, the saved, the redeemed, the forgiven. Okay. Our Lord. The Lord of the saints, the Lord of the church. Father. He's our Father. Now, what does Father imply? The word, the meaning of the word 
How far can you go with that and understanding who God is and who he is to us? What's your relationship to him? He's your father. Are you his son? Are you born again saved? And if you are, how are you as the child of God? Are you an obedient child? What type of child are you to the father? See, this is what this means. Our father, which art in heaven. Now, what does that imply? What does that signify? He is in heaven. But he's also here with us. He rules and he's sovereign. He's the king. He's God. He's my friend. That sticks closer than a brother. He's my father. He's my helper. He seals me with his spirit. He's with me always. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Jordan heaven, hallowed be thy name. The sacredness of God. The sacredness of God. Hallowed holy reverential special it's high it's sacred the names of god how do you treat the names of god how do you refer to god how do you make mention of god how do you treat god in your everyday when you speak of him when you reference him do you do you abuse his name do you abuse the 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 mention of him? Like so many people, they use the OMGs, for example. You know that's blasphemy, right? That's a flippant, irreverent misuse of the mention of God. Some people say it's not blasphemy. Well, they're wrong because it is. It's blasphemous to flippantly use mentions of God. Hallowed is his name. Hallowed are the mentions of him. Be careful of your vocabulary. Hallowed be thy name. Now, what does that also imply of how you approach him, how you bring him unto others? Is God hallowed in your life? Holy? Do you treat him reverently? Do you treat him specially? Thy kingdom come. Now, we, we go back to what Jesus talked about, about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is before you. The kingdom of God is within you when you're saved. He's come to bring the kingdom of God to us, which is him, his spirit, his salvation, his redemption. Thy kingdom come. Do you bring the kingdom of God with you in everything that you do, everywhere you go, to everybody that you that you may speak to? Do you do you represent Christ? Are you or are you ashamed of the kingdom of God and you never make mention of it unto others? Do you are you openly clarifying it, showing it, demonstrating it, helping others to see and understand it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Are you trying to rule your own life? Do you call the shots or does God? Who calls the shots in your in your life? Are you worried and fearful and stressing and fretting about everything in your life, about this and that and the other thing and all the craziness of the world? Or you don't even care about it because you give it unto the Lord. Fear not, worry not, stress not, fret not, be anxious or nothing, care not. Thy will be done. The will of God. Now, I've talked about this before, but yes, you know, in praying and some people say, you know, not my will, but thine. Okay, I get that. I understand. But there is also the aspect of asking you shall receive. But if you're asking and doubting, asking in fear, asking stressing, asking fretting, asking anxiously, you receive nothing of God. 
some people say 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 that you know not my will but thine you know thy will be done but they say that in a manner of because they don't expect to receive what they ask as they come before the lord already doubting that the lord will actually provide so they kind of use that as the loophole scapegoat so that they have doubt in the back of their mind so when it doesn't happen they're not so put out we got to approach that properly thy will be done is is in regards to dying to self dying to self that you choose to live for the Lord in all that you do. Is I'm not going to try to get in the way. That the word of God, the doctrines, the theology, the teachings, the righteousness, the character of God. It will go first and foremost in anything and everything. Even in eating and drinking to alter the glory of God. And not just in the big things, but the, even the most mundane eating and drinking. Is you give it to the Lord and you honor the Lord in it. You bring the Lord into everything that you do. Thy will be done so that when you bring the Lord into everything that you do. He will help guide you and teach you and show you the best way. That's what that means. As in heaven, so on earth. As the Lord calls the shots in heaven, as he rules heaven, so he should rule in your life. Does he? Does he? Why doesn't he? What can you do so that he would? How can you modify and, and, and fix your life so that as he is the ruler of heaven, he's the ruler of your home? He's the ruler of your life. As you live for him, you don't live for yourself. You die to self. You die to your own liberties and rights and freedoms. You surrender that because you want the Lord to be in charge. I'm not going to tr try to force my will on anything. It doesn't matter what anyone says or does or thinks or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But if they curse or hate or try to cause trouble, I'm not even going to stress about it. I'm not even going to fret about it. The government, the world, the uh, society goes crazy and they try to do this and that and the other thing. I don't even care about it. It doesn't even enter my mind. I don't, I don't even care about it because the Lord is in charge. That's what that means. Verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? What does it mean? Give us this day. Give us day by day. Well, as parents provide food for their children every day, daily, are you not his child? Would not the Lord be seeking to want to feed you in the morning, give you your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner? Would not, would not our Father want to feed us? Yeah, he wants to feed us. How? Spiritual food and spiritual bread. Why would you not want to eat? Well, I'm not hungry. Can we say that? Can we say that sometimes even spiritually? I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat right now. Yeah, but children don't really get a say in that. <laughs> when it's when it's eating time, then the parents call you to the table. You drop what you're doing and you go to the table and you sit down. And you eat what's put in front of you. You're not allowed to be picky with the word of God. The Lord says eat your vegetables. You got to eat them. Why would you not want to eat what the Lord gives you? Sometimes it's not always that exactly what you want. But it's good for you. 
The parents know better than you. They know how to care for you better than you can. When the Lord gives you sometimes hard things, certain doctrines, certain teachings, certain passages of scripture that we may kind of sometimes kind of glaze over, push aside, not really pay attention to because it's, it's not what I want right now. But the Lord said, eat it. But Lord, the bread is hard. Dip it in the milk. Soften it a little bit. But eat it anyways. You can turn meat into milk. As you search it out, okay, well, how, how are ways I can understand it? What, what can I do about this? You see what happens when you break it down. You don't just recite scripture. You study it. The words, the meanings. How to turn meat into milk and milk into meat. Give us day by day. Lord, please continue to help me. Teach me. Grant me the wisdom and the knowledge of your word. That your spirit would help me with this. To, to grasp this. To understand this. What does it mean? Give us day by day our daily bread. What does that mean? Well, if we're not studying it. We're not applying it. We're not looking for ways. Uh, how to use parables. To explain doctrinal things like Jesus did. Then how are we going to understand the word of God? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Now, some people say, well, you, you need to go and pray and read your Bible three times a day. Why? What's wrong with once a day? What's wrong with five times a day or ten times a day? Is there a limit? How many times are you supposed to read your Bible and pray? Uh, when you figure that one out, let me know, please. There's, there isn't a set limit. Um, because, well, what's the limit in talking to family and friends? Are you only allowed to say X amount of words to family and friends? You're only allowed to talk to people so many times a day? Or you, you have to talk to people this amount of times a day? That that's stupid Pharisaical religiosity. That's that traditionalism that we're supposed to get away from. Lord, teach us to pray, not traditionalism. How many times are you supposed to talk to family every day? Um, there isn't a limit. Some days you may talk to them more than others. Some days, depending what's going on, uh, maybe only once a day kind of thing. Some days it's only kind of a. Uh, as you're running past like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, so some days it's like that with the Lord, but the Lord understands and the Lord goes with you. But it's the fact that you bring him with you and you're always talking with him. You never shirk him. You're never shirking the Lord. You're not ignoring him. You're not apathetic of him. You're mindful of him. You're talking with him. You're bringing him in everything. You're involving him because you want him to be involved in everything that you're doing. Why wouldn't you want him to be that he's always there to feed you when you're hungry. He's always there to give you the snack. It's not even, say, a devotional time. It's say, you know, partway through the day, a Bible verse pops up in your mind. And you think about it. Oh, yeah, and it's an encouragement. That's the Lord giving you a snack. You see, when you personalize the Word of God, you personalize devotional time, you make it real. You make Scripture real. It's not just a book of metaphors and moral 
platitudes. It's, it's alive. It's real. The faith is real. The Lord is real and he is with us always. He's here right now. He's involved with, the, with this message. He's involved with this study. He's standing right beside you. His spirit is within you and he's speaking to you even right now. He's encouraging you with this. He's talking to you. He's feeding you right now. By your contemplation of the word of God. Give us day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. You see, there's also the other issue. Sometimes we look to only Sundays. Or when the church is open for feeding. Or that we don't really involve ourselves to study it ourselves. We read someone else's study. Now, there's nothing wrong with with going and reading and looking at other Bible devotional books, other devotional books and daily bread booklets and pamphlets and that kind of stuff and prayer books. Okay, that's fine and dandy, but those are other people's writings. Those are other people's devotionals. That's other people's spiritual meals. There's nothing wrong with sharing in a, in a manner to encourage and help others, but the, that's not your daily bread. That's someone else's dinner. The Lord wants you. He wants to hear your words. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to see your mind. He wants you. Not someone else's words. Yours. He doesn't want to hear you reciting someone else's prayer. He wants yours. He wants to be involved with you. He wants to know how you think. Well, he already knows, but you know what I mean. He wants to hear you think. He wants to see you apply yourself to the word of God. Not cheat not cheat where you you don't think for yourself you just go and recite off some other prayer some other devotional do some other study where you do not have to apply yourself to the word of god you're not studying out the words yourself you're letting someone else do the work for you that's cheating that's not being personal that's not you applying yourself to a conversation with god you're letting someone else speak for you Try doing that in your own relationships where you hardly ever actually use your own words to talk to someone else. You only cite other people or you have other people talk for you. How well do you think those relationships will go? Give us day by day our daily. And see, here's the other thing. Why wouldn't you want to spend time with the Lord every day? Why would you shirk it? Why, why would you ignore him? Why wouldn't you apply yourself to him every day? Why would you not want to? Well, I want to, but I just, I don't. Martha, Martha. Thou art cumbered about much serving. You're too busy. You're too busy. If you don't have time to spend with the Lord, adequate time to spend with the Lord, then you're too busy. Well, well I, 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 I'm so scheduled. I don't know what to do. I got to go get ready for work. Then get up earlier. Go to bed sooner. Turn off the stupid idiot box of television once in a while. Go to bed earlier so that you'll have time to spend with the Lord. Go to bed earlier so you can spend time with the Lord before bed. The television becomes your God. You spend more time with it than you do the Lord. You spend more time with others and other things and your hobbies than you do with the Lord. Other things are, are more important to you. Other things are your God. What you spend most of your time with is your God. 
give us day by day our daily, daily bread. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, that, that loaf of bread that you buy at the store. It's all bagged up and sliced up, ready to go. And you just buy that loaf of white bread or brown bread or whatever it is you like. And, and you take it home and you make a sandwich with it. Now, I'm not talking about that. Now, I am blessed to have a mother who makes homemade bread. She makes homemade bread. Handmade homemade bread. I'm telling you, when that stuff is cooking, oh my goodness, smells absolutely incredible. That smell of fresh baking bread. You weren't hungry before? You are now. Uh, this year, uh, just the smell of it, it makes you hungry. You can taste it, you smell it. Oh, it smells so good. And it comes out of the oven, and it's all nice and, and hot, and you slice off a piece, you put some butter on, the butter melts into it. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Daily bread. The Lord isn't using old packaged, factory-made bread. The Lord prepares bread for you every morning. Our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord has it fresh every morning. Fresh and warm and tasty and it's soothing and it's encouraging. It satiates your soul. What kind of bread do you think God was giving you? What kind of bread did you think that he was going to provide? He's going to go and bring some stale bread, a stale crust here and there. No, that's that's traditional religiosity, a stale crust. Is uh, but the Lord gives us fresh daily bread. Where you where you cut off a piece, you focus on it. Here it is. You have the knife, and you cut it. You're working at it. You cut it and you prepare it take the word of God you sit down you open it up your prayer is the butter it applies on the bread of the word of God and you feast of this time before God it's refreshing it's encouraging it satiates your soul and the smell of it of this devotion in your prayers goes up as an incense into the nostrils of God What did you think the word of God is? What did you think prayer is? It's not It's not just what Christians do. I'm a Christian. We're supposed to pray. What do you think prayer is? What did you think reading the Bible is? Why do we shirk it? Why would you not want a piece of that? Come, sit at the table. Sit at the table with the saints. And sometimes even when all the saints are together, the Lord bakes a fresh loaf of bread right there for the gathering of the saints together. Or we fellowship together. We break bread. We break bread. We feast of the word of God. And we pray together. We read together. We worship together. And the smell of this goes up before the Lord. And it's acceptable. Give us this day our, our, that's personal or group give us this day our daily bread and forgive 
and blessed are you, O God, which art in heaven, my Father, my God, my Redeemer, hallowed, sacred, holy, high, majestic art thou, O Lord, and your names, your name which is higher than all names, your name which is above all names, at whose name every knee will bow, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Thy kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is brought down by the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Thy will be done in my life. Lord, forgive me if I've gotten in the way. Forgive me for shirking you. Forgive me for ignoring you. Lord, provide. Help me this day. Teach me. Instruct me. Give me wisdom and knowledge. Help me to understand your word. Forgive us our sins. And forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. First John 1 John 1.9 Hebrews 8.12 And on and on and on. First John 2.1 We see the mercies of God all throughout the word of, word of God of His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy. So t sometimes, depending on what we've done, we feel that we're too ashamed to ask him to forgive us because we've done it again and again and again and again. Lord, this is the 5,362th time, <laughs> time I've come before you about this. Lord, forgive me. Okay. Does the Lord grow tired of forgiving us? No. Will he ever not forgive us? No. If we ever come before the Lord and ask him to forgive us for what we've done, he will forgive us and there's no limit. So long it's not the repentance of Esau, which is just, you're sorry for the issue it caused, but not for the actual issue and the problem, the sin itself. Even though he sought it with tears, the Lord hated it. His honest, sincere, real repentance you're really, truly sorry for it. Forgive us our sins. Now, we see in here, some people think that you got to go through and you got to name everything, everything you've done, done wrong. No, 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 no. It's, as you see, even in the psalmist, the psalmist says, Lord, forgive me for presumptuous sins, for secret faults, sins of ignorance. I don't even know what I did, but I know I did something. That's what it is. And Lord, Lord, if I've done anything against you to, to, to shame you, to grieve you, if I've gone against you and your word in any way, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to understand so I don't do it again. Help me to learn, to grow, to change. Forgive us our sins. Our. Is that the question? Forgive us our sins. Is that personal or group? Just a thought. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Go back to Matthew. Matthew 6. For if you forgive me, sorry, uh, yeah, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, uh, Matthew 6, 15, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, there's a doctrine that is commonly ignored in a lot of churches. And a lot of Christians. 
is social forgiveness. Now, what I mean by that is we're so passionate about our devotions and about coming before the Lord, ask the Lord to forgive us for what we've done. But we are very unforgiving to other people. Whether it be politicians and leaders and, or the neighbors or the stranger in the street, the person who cut you off on the road, the person who spilled your coffee, or the, the, the lady who hit you with the grocery cart at the grocery store, or whatever, you fill in the gap. As we can be very unforgiving to other people. As we gripe and complain and grumble and you say, oh, no, I'm forgiving. Oh, really? Is that why you is that why you bring this up and complain and you and deride and mock and scoff those people that bothered you out in public? And you bring that up to other people and you mention it again and again and again. And you joke about how stupid that person was or whatever. or Those stupid politicians and go on and on and on. Is that forgiving? What does it mean to be forgiving? But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does it mean to be forgiving? If someone, let's say, bumps into you at the store, they say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And you're like, it's okay. And you forget about it. You forget about it. You let it go, you drop it, you don't go on and on and, and you think about how stupid that person is and go on and then you tell your friends and your family and you, you got to write about it and talk about it and post about these stupid people that do these stupid things, go on and on and on. That's not forgiving. That's unforgiveness. What makes you think God is going to forgive you? Bible flat out says God will not forgive you if you're not forgiving others. Now, why would that be? Because that's rebellion. You're rebelling against the commandment of God. You are not humble. You are prideful. You think yourself better than them. So you put yourself over them. To put them under you. So you, so you snide them and speak evil of them. And you mistreat them. You speak evil of them. You mock them. Now we all do it. We all do it. We all do it. Well, because we all do it doesn't mean that we can all just get away with it and just continue on about it. Maybe we should all repent of it and try not to do that. To be more Christ-like, more childlike in faith. Childlikeness of Christ-likeness. As we just let it go, the Lord will deal with it. To forgive our enemies. To love our enemies. To love our enemies. To pray for them. To bless them. To treat them as Christ would. Did Christ go on and on and rail about the stupidity of people or whatever else? No, he exposed sin. The sin... But he did it in such a way to try to teach and instruct so that others, those that are of them, of the Pharisees in them, would repent of that. They would learn of their mistakes and they would come and believe. And many of the Pharisees actually did believe in him. 
Many of the priests believed in him. He forgave them and saved them. Do you pray for the souls of those you talk about? Do you pray for the salvation of those that you snide and, and complain about? Do you spend as much time praying that they would get saved, they would repent and turn to the Lord as you do uh, bad-mouthing them? Just something to think about. We are, we are so passionate when it comes to our religiosity. We're so passionate when it comes to church and reading our Bibles and praying and talking about Christ. But are we passionate about forgiveness? How, how, how often do we grieve the Lord? How many times do we upset the Lord? Do we betray the Lord? How often do we sin? What makes ourselves better than others that we gripe about? Other people may have done horrible, horrible sins, maybe seemingly worse sins than, than you to your, your eyes, but in the eyes of God, all sin is sin, and all sin is condemned. They, they are not worse sinners than you. One lie will send you to the lake of fire. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That's what it says. Verse 4. Luke 11, verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Do we? Do we? Now, we take a look at the next part here. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I have a reference here for Corinthians 10, 13. Give me a second. I forget why I wrote that reference. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Alright, so, let's look at that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, does God tempt us with evil? With wicked darkness? With sinful badness? No. No. But evil, depending on the context, as you do see in Psalms, sorry, not Psalms, where uh, Isaiah, where, where it says that God makes peace and creates evil. Now, the word evil is not sinful wickedness, right? The word evil is in context of judgment, like a, like a court judge passing a sentence upon the convict the the righteous judgment judgment now judgment can be correction correction to correct to reprove rebuke so chastisement parental chastisement is is the parental discipline a wicked sinfulness no it's it's good it's proper it's correction it's judgment but it is a hindrance. It is that which opposes that which the child is doing wrong. So it is the 
evil of chastisement, of discipline, of judgment, of correction. That's what that means. Does God tempt us with sinful wickedness? No. But does he, does he challenge us and charge us? Does he chastise us? Does he correct us? Does he judge what we do? Yes. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So then we compare it to what we see in Corinthians. There hath, there hath no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. The common temptations and issues that, of life that will come, come our way, such as is common to men, uh, the, our own habitual sins and issues and temptations and troubles and trials and things. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. God knows your limits. He will, he will bring you close to things. He may bring you by things. He may bring you to the edge. He may bring you to the end of the rope. But he will not allow you to go above that which you are able. He knows your limits. But he uses these things. These things. And he makes a way of escape. That ye may be able to bear it. So that you can learn how, how to avoid. How to fight against. How to resist how to overcome he is that the 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 metal is hardened by the fire as you put the metal through the fire to heat it up and it gets stronger as you temper the metal these things temper us they harden us they help us they strengthen us as we we talk about standing for the lord and resisting sin but if we've never actually gone through it how will we know what we're actually talking about see there there's the there's the theory, and then there's the practical. There's the book learning, learning about it, reading about it, knowing it, and then actually doing it is one thing. You can read and, and watch sword fighting, but until you know how to actually pick it up and how to actually fight, you won't know how to actually apply it. That's what this is about. So, when it comes to this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into that which we are not able to bear. Now, God won't. Now, why would we need to say this? we got to understand the proper context of what this is talking about. Lead us into the deliverance of this. That you would guide me. As we're coming into this, Lord, that you would guide me out of the storm. Would you show me the way of escape? Would you show me my limits and show me how to oppose? Would you show me how to resist? Lord, would you teach me how to bear these things? How to stand up against these things? How to resist the devil that he may flee? That's what this is saying. Deliver us from the evil. Now, that is that which opposes. That which opposes. That which hinders. That which, con uh, that which judges and harms. Deliver us from these things. Help me to learn, to grow, to, to trust you more. For thine is the kingdom, because it's your kingdom. It's your teaching, your instruction. It's your classroom. It's your faith, not mine. It's your church, not mine. It's your ministry. It's your word. It's your salvation. It's your cross. You call the shots. It's your business. You're the owner. I'm just a caretaker. I'm the child. Lead us 
Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Help us. Guide us. Teach us. Instruct us, O Lord. For thine is the kingdom and the power. And the power. For thine is the kingdom and the power. It's God's kingdom. It's not ours. It's his. So we see acknowledgement of authority. At the end of this, see acknowledgement of authority. Whose authority? As we see in the word of God, by 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, it's not open to personal interpretation. I don't read this and say, well, I like this and I like this, and, and we kind of piecemeal together uh, what we want to believe, our understandings, our interpretations. All of it is authority, from Genesis to Revelation. What it says is what it means. And if God decrees something is wrong, and then it's wrong. If God says this is good and it's blessed, then it's blessed. What God says goes. He calls the shots. He's the authority. It's his kingdom. It's his power. His authority. His guidance. He says how it goes. He opens the doors of escape. He delivers. He provides. For thine. I am nowhere in this. For thine is the kingdom. Now, now we see abasement of self. For I am nowhere in this. I am nothing. As the writer says, I am but a worm. I am dust. As God said to Adam, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. We're dust. We're dust. We are nobody. We're talking stones. As Peter says, we're all built together as lively stones. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they, when they said, So tell thy disciples to be quiet. And Jesus says, If I tell them to be quiet, the stones of the ground will cry out. We're talking stones. Who do we think we are? We're so full of ourselves sometimes. So full of ourselves. For thine is the kingdom. It's God's church, not yours, not mine. That's his pulpit, not mine. It's his congregation, not mine. It's his authority how the church is run. It's not what I think or what I feel. Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. What is righteous judgment? What is righteous judgment? For thine is the kingdom. It's his sermon, not mine. It's his words. My philosophies, my ability to string a phrase doesn't convict anyone. My ability to put words together will not convince anyone, will not convict anyone. I have no power. None. It's the Spirit of God that convicts of sin. And how does he work? He Spirit of God rides on Scripture, not my words. My ability to string a phrase, my ability to preach, my ability to, to witness or anything, it does nothing. I'm a talking stone. I'm a voice in the wilderness, an echo through the wind. It's here for a little bit and vanishes away. And we are forgotten, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God convicts the hearers. It convicts the heart. It changes the mind. It convicts the soul. It saves from sin. For thine is the kingdom. It's his kingdom, his words, his conviction. It's his preaching, his ministry, his everything. It's his YouTube channel. 
It's his home. It's his money, his car, his dog, his cat. It's all his. All belongs to him. God gives. God takes away. In him is all power of life and death. Acknowledgement and understanding. Recollection of that. Remembrance of the absolute sovereignty of God. Now here's a question. Why would you not want him to be in your life? Why would you not want him to be the absolute final authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith? Why would you not want him to be? Why would you not want to let him be? Because we can get in the way. As the potter at the wheel is molding the clay and we come in there and say, Oh, here, can, can we do this? And you get your hands in there too. God smacks away your hands. And sometimes we can be a little frustrating as children. We can be so antsy and we want it to be done our way. And the Lord says, No, sit down, be still, hold still, stand still and see the salvation of your God. The Lord molds the clay. We don't. He's the potter. We're the clay. Does the thing formed say to him which formed it, Why have you made me thus? Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because God can choose to take your life right now if he so wanted. The only reason you're breathing is because he deemed it. The only reason your heart is beating is because of the grace of God. <laughs> I am what I am by the grace of God. The only reason you're here right now, the only reason you see, breathe, feel, the only reason you speak, move, the only reason your heart is beating, the only reason your brain is firing the neurons is because God deemed it so. The only reason you woke up this morning is because he allowed you to wake up. The only reason you're able to have something to drink this morning is because he gave you that. The only reason you have, the only reason you are is because he deemed it. And the moment we forget that, we become apathetic of that. He is not the Lord of our life. For thine is the kingdom. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are children of the Most High. But we are children. We are not independent, mature individuals that can just think for themselves in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. It's not how it works for the angels. It's not how it works for us. The kingdom of God is he calls the shots. He says what is and how it goes. The moment we think that we have to figure it out, that we have to try to solve the issues, that I have to scheme and plan and work and slave to, to make it so, then it's not his kingdom anymore. We're not the king. We're not the ruler. We're not the authorities. We're the town criers. That's all we are. We're the town criers. The town criers, the servant of the king, who stands there and waits for the dictates of the king. The king says, go tell the people this. The town crier says, yes, yes, my lord. And he goes out to the town center. He says, hear ye, hear ye. And he opens the bill and he reads what the king says. That's all we are. We are caretakers of the Lord's kingdom. It's his power. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's not about me. Christian coffee time is not about me. My good friend here, the smart, smart channel here, he agree with me. He has an awesome channel, but it's not about him. 
It's not his face, not his name. It's not about him. It's not about me. It's not about anyone else. It's not about anyone else here in the comments. It's not about the, it's not about the pastors. It's not about the big names. It's not about Charles Spurgeon. It's not about D.L. Moody. It's not about George Mueller. It's not about, not about Whitfield. It's not about the Apostle Paul. It's not about Elijah. It's not about Moses. It's not about the people. It's not about any of us. It's not about any of us because if it's about us, we get the glory. It's not about us. We're here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to bring the glory to God, to redirect it, to get the people's attention and to point them to, to the king, point them to Christ, point them to the cross. We get out of the way. I must decrease. He must increase. We get the people's attention by shouting in the town center as the town crier, but it's not about the town crier nobody's paying attention to the crier they're paying attention to what the crier is saying it's about the doctrine it's not about the feelings people get so wrapped up in worshiping the act of worship about the feelings and the emotions and the sensations and and church felt good i got stirred up i got emotionally stirred but what'd you learn Where's the retention of the knowledge? Where's the retention of what was said? What did the town crier say who was standing on the stage? What did the town crier say? Uh, I don't know. You weren't paying attention. You were just focusing on how good it felt and how good it made you feel. You're worshiping the act of worship instead of worshiping God. Where's the glory? Where's the glorification of God? Where's the glorification of the word of God? Of the authority of God. Where's the glorification of the cross, of the blood, of the name of Christ, of the bear, of the resurrection? Where's the glory of the work of God, of the hand of God? Where is God? Where's the king? Where's the king of the kingdom? He's the one on stage. It's his words. Because his spirit is speaking through the preacher. His spirit is telling the preacher what to say. It's not the preacher's words. People get mad at the preacher, but it's not the preacher's words. It's God's words. And if what the preacher says offends you, you got a problem with God, not the preacher. Where's the glory? People get so wrapped up. I'm a follower of this preacher, this preacher. I'm a follower of Paul of Cephas. Some say I'm of, I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Cephas, some say I'm of Apollos. Are we not all one under Christ? It's about Christ. It's not about us. It's not about anything but the Lord. Psalm 9:17: the wicked shall be turned to hell and every nation that forgets God. And we get so wrapped up in people, thinking about people, thinking about the politicians, the governors, the emperors, and all the rest of that. We get so wrapped up in nations and nationality and clickism and clanism and everything else. We get so wrapped up in self and my ministry, my work, my job, my this. We're so full of ourselves. We're so drunk with, with pride, so drunk with thinking of people. We're not thinking of the Lord, putting the Lord first. We get so wrapped up in what's going on with society and the governments and everything else that Christ and his gospel gets pushed to the back burner. We give glory and attention. We give attention. We give veneration, respect, more respect, more time, more veneration, more attention to 
other things. We glorify the fighting and the bickering and the warring and, and, and the focusing on politics and masks and vaccines and everything else. We spend more time on, on everything else in the world instead of what the Lord says about the gospel, about salvation, about worship of the kingdom of God. We drag societal dictation into the church. Where's simple glory of God? Where it's just him. It's just his word. The world stays outside. And it's just him. It's his praises. It's his word. It's his worship. It's his throne. And all it is is us standing around the throne of God, worshiping God. Where is true glory? Not the glory of emotion, not the glory of fighting and re rebelling and anarchy and the church resisting the world. It's not about that. It's about who he is, who he is, what he's done, what he will do. I've read the back of the book and we win. You know, just in case you didn't know, I read the back of the book and we win. So what are you worried about? Worship God. Glorify God. Go out in the street. Praise the Lord. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet to declare to the people the air of their ways. Tell them about Jesus. Set aside everything else. Set aside every other weight and every other issue. And praise Christ. Preach Christ. Be unashamed of Christ. Show them the cross. Glorify God in public. Glorify God in private. Glorify God in all that you do and everything that you do, even in eating and drinking. Glorify God. After this manner, pray ye. You see, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, is not the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when ye pray, after this manner, pray ye. This is the disciples' prayer. The Lord tells us by this in Luke 11, verses 1 to 4, and in Matthew 6 here. The Lord tells us, it's about me, God says. Get your eyes on me. Stop looking, stop listening, stop paying attention, stop caring about everything else. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, as I have forgiven you, so you forgive others. What have you done against God? Go back to when you got saved. Do you remember when you got saved? What had you done for the amount of sin against God? Go back to that dumpster. Do you remember what you did against the Lord? Do you remember what you do against the Lord on a regular basis even now? What makes you think that, that you're better than others? Forgive them. Stop griping. Stop complaining. Stop caring what others say and do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Lord, put not this sin upon their charge, but forgive them. Lord, would you save them? Even people you hate. Even people you don't like, people that, 
that may be your enemy. They speak evil of you. So they spoke evil of the prophets and of Christ and of the apostles. So they speak evil of you because they hate Christ. So forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they even had an inkling, they'd be falling on their faces, screaming in terror of God. Forgive us. Forgive them. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. The pursuit of the knowledge of God. So we see acknowledgement of who God is. What it's all about. The hallowedness, the sacredness of God, the sacredness of the faith. Thy will be done. Teach us your word. Set aside everything else. Catechisms, commentaries, creeds, councils. Ignore it. it. The word of God. Give us this day our daily bread of the word of God, of fellowship, devotion, true reverential worship and respect of God. Forgive us our sins. Help us to defeat these issues and problems coming to our lives. Lord, would you teach us, but deliver us from these things. Help us. Help us to grow, to understand. And most importantly, glorify God. Glorify God. It's to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. I am what I am by the grace of God. The only reason I'm here right now is because he allowed me to be. The only reason I'm alive right now is because he had mercy on me. I'm saved because he forgave me. Undeserved. I deserve to be in hell right now. But he saved me. To the glory of God, I live my life. To the glory of God, I eat and drink. To the glory of God, I speak and think and work and walk. To pray in spirit, to walk in spirit, to worship in spirit, to preach in spirit, to live in spirit. Because the flesh is wicked, the flesh is full of sin, the flesh opposes, the flesh wars with the spirit, and you cannot do the things you would. To the glory of God alone. We oppose the flesh. To the glory of God. We oppose the sin of the world. How? By being rebels and uh, sticking up against the government. And No. By preaching Christ. That which glorifies God. What glorifies God? The preaching of Christ. What glorifies God? The mention of the name of his son. What glorifies God? Studying the word of God to grow as his children. What glorifies God? The preaching of the faith. What glorifies God? The declaration of the kingdom of God. Not resisting and fighting and being rebels and anarchists and everything else. And about getting so caught up in worldly events. But in glorifying the kingdom of God by the mention of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God, the only true God in eternal life. What glorifies God? A praising church. What glorifies God? The joy of the saints. What glorifies God? The reading of the word of God. What glorifies God? The memorization of the word of God. What glorifies God? The declaration of the gospel. To see souls saved. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. What glorifies God? Following Christ as dear children. What glorifies God? If it doesn't glorify God, 
Why are you giving your mind to it? If it doesn't glorify God, why are you bothering? After this manner, pray ye. Is this your prayer? Is this your prayer? Do you pray that in everything that you do, you would glorify God? You would bring glory to God? You would bring other people to the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Salvation. Do you pray that your very words and thoughts and imaginations and actions and hobbies and interests and work life, home life, private life, social life, do you pray that you that you would wind up glorifying God in all that you do, that other people would see you glorifying God and to bring them to the knowledge of the glory of God? Why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't this be your prayer? What is your prayer? Is it vain repetition? Is it the regurgitations of a daily list? What is your prayer? Is it so self-indulged it's all about you? Or is it self-deprecating where you don't even want to talk about yourself? The Lord wants all of you. He wants to hear your heart, your mind, your words, your prayer. He wants to see you as a person. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. He will teach you. He will, he will confirm the weak ankles. He will strengthen the feeble knees. He will lift up the hands which hang down. Lift up your eyes to heaven. Praise the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. He teaches us how to stand. He guides us with his eye. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Do we delight in God and all that we do? See, this, this is what the Lord is trying to get across to us. When the disciples said, Master, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, after this manner, this is what he was getting across to them. It's not about just say these words, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does it mean? You see, God gives us a book of instruction full of words. But it's the meaning of these words. It's the meaning of these words. He sets it before us. He sets it before us. And this is a meal. Freshly baked bread. There's the smell of it. It's sitting right there, the loaf of bread. The daily fresh bread. God bless. And, yeah, we'll be praying for you. He gives us freshly baked bread. And he says, now, here's the knife. Would you cut it? Would you spend time on it? Would you eat it? Now, eat it slowly, lest you choke. Spend time, you chew, that's mulling on, that's meditation of the word of God. As you mull on it, as you chew it, 
you work it, get all the flavor, all the nutrition, all of it out, is eat slowly. Slow contemplation. That's meditation of the Word of God. So many of us speed read through the Scriptures, speed read through our devotions. Speed through our devotions and we miss so much. We need to learn to slow down, take our time, meditate upon it, think about, contemplate what's going on. Why did he say it like this? What does it mean? How is it being said? How can we pair it with other aspects of the Word of God? The Bereans, which are more noble than those in Thessalonica, in, in that they received the Word with a ready, readiness of mind, and they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Our Father, which art is, he was, he is, he forever will be. Which art? He is. He is alive. Not was. It doesn't say was. Art. He just is. In heaven. Hallowed. Be. Thy name. Thy. Kingdom. Come. Do we want the kingdom of God to come to earth? Do you really want the kingdom of God to come to your enemies? Do you want the Sauls of Tarsus to be saved? Do you want the Nebuchadnezzars to be saved? Do you even want the Alimuses and Janes and Jambres to be saved? Think about the individuals who were stoning Stephen. They stoned him to death. What did Stephen say? Put not the sin upon their charge. Forgive them. Stephen even was praying that these people that were stoning him to death would get saved. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread that's self-application as well and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us see we're not out in front lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. What does it say? Forever. Forever. It doesn't end. This prayer never ends. This prayer never ends. We should never stop acknowledging the truth of this this should never die in its seriousness and power and impact in our lives we should never become apathetic to it the moment we start becoming or sensing or feeling apathetic to this we need to get back to the fire of it we need to figure out where we went astray how we went wrong lord forgive me for not taking it serious, for forgetting, 
Forgive me, Lord, for ignoring you this morning. Forgive me for ignoring you before I went to bed. Forgive me for not speaking of you and glorifying you to the people for being ashamed. Forgive me for not speaking up. Forgive me for not forgiving those that have slighted me. Forgive me for holding grudges. Forgive me for not being Christ-like in all things. Lord, that you would be with me always, as you said you would be with me. That I would be with you always. As the Lord said, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you, even though we can leave and forsake him. And he forgives us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 and Hebrews 8, 12 And I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And the Lord forgives and forgets your sins. 1 John 2, 1 if, it, That if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He will always eagerly forgive and help and build us up again. If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Your land, your home, your life. Your life. We get so focused on, on a bigger picture. Let us look at ourselves. Get yourself right with the Lord. Get yourself right with the Lord. Because how can the Lord use you if you're not right with the Lord? We get so focused on other people being right and we forget about ourselves. Moat in the beam. So you see how much there is. And we can keep going. We can keep going on and on and on for hours and hours, days, weeks, months, years on just this passage. The disciples' prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Our Father, which art in heaven. So, give this some thought. What is your prayer? How do you pray? How do you see the Lord? How do you hear the Lord? Who is the Lord to you? Now you say it. But do you do it? Be ye not just hearers of the word, but doers also. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, but do not do as I say? Where are you in the picture? Where is the glory? I get none of it. I want, I want none of it. All glory goes to him. How do we treat others? How do we talk to God? Do you talk to others the way you talk to God? Think about it. 
Where is he in your life? See, there's so much. There's so much. So give this some thought. Prayer. Devotion. Worship. Glory. So, there you go. That's our study for this morning. So I hope this was an encouragement and help help to you. Please give this a like. Give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We got tons and tons and tons and tons of content, tons of different playlists and studies and all kinds of goodies. So make sure you check those out and give those a like as well. Share them around. Share this study around as well. And check out our website as well, christiancoffeetime.ca. Get tons of goodies over there and free downloadable PDFs of gospel tracks for you to hand out and links to our shops and all kinds of other stuff. And please check that out and links to our other platforms. So yeah, so we got tons of stuff going on. So make sure, make sure you go over this. Give this study some thought. Rewatch it. Share this around. Help people to understand our relationship and fellowship with God. God. We say that word, we hear that word so much, but what does it mean? What do the words mean? So you see why it's so important in it. And if you need help remembering it, we got we got our three points of Bible study uh, bookmarks. You can get those on our Etsy shop where it walks you through it and shows you all the references and you can have it in your Bible to, as a constant reminder for you if you'd like. And, but uh, give it some thought about the, the studies, the what, the how, the why, what it's saying, now how it's being said, and then why. The what, the how, the why. The Berean method of studying the Word of God, because we can just read the Bible and we read what's called the Lord's Prayer. Where's the impactfulness of it? You see, we quote the verses. And we don't really spend time thinking about what and how and why it's that way. What it's saying, how it's being said, and why it's being said that way. And why it's important. You can quote it, but what does it mean? You can quote the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean? So there you go. So with that, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.